Welcome to the show. It is seven minutes after the hour. My guest, Beth Guckenberger, wrote a book called Start With Amen, How I Learned to Surrender by Keeping the End in Mind. And, you know, millions of Christians all over the world say amen every day. Yet do we really know how deep it is and how rich it is and the truth that comes from that word? It's a very sacred phrase, sacred word. Let's talk about it with my guest, Beth Guckenberger. Hello, Beth. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm great. So let me ask you, first of all, because you know I love names, and is Guckenberger uh, your married name, or is that your name you were born with? It's my married name. I always say he was a cute boy at the right time. So <laughs> it, all, it, it all worked out. <laughs> yeah. What was what was your birth name? My birth name was Ewing. Ewing? So I went from five, yeah, five letters to 12, but he was absolutely worth it. Oh, fantastic. So... Your book, uh, Start With Amen, first of all, I love the word amen, but and we all use it all the time, but do we really know what it means? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the question for me for, I mean, all of my Christian life. It had been like sign-off, like an afterthought, mm-hmm. like a, an other way of saying goodbye, you know, or 10-4, or I'm out. Right. And, um, I began to study what it meant, and... Uh, it, it actually transformed my whole prayer experience. Okay, you just can't leave, you can't leave me hanging there. <laughs> well, basically, I, I I had this story where I was um, I had a purse that was I had I was a missionary for fifteen years, and I had this purse that got stolen out of my car, and it was a purse I probably had no business even owning. I just um, had been up in Texas at an outlet and saw it and. And it was suede and lilac, and uh, it was very impractical. I have 10 children. I work in, you know, underserved, marginalized mm-hmm. communities. Like, why was I carrying this expensive okay, now, suede purse around? And, and, Beth, I have to ask, because my sisters will want to know, did you have matching shoes? <laughs> I did not have matching okay, shoes. Okay, good. All right. But I, 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 I had this purse for a hot second, really. I mean, just a matter of weeks, and it was stolen out of my car. And I can remember when it was stolen, I said to Jesus, I mean, just, just giving insight vulnerably to my broken theology. I was like, man, I got what I deserved. I wasn't even being a very good steward. I, you know, I'm sorry, Lord, I even did that in the first place. And I, I really punished myself by, instead of replacing it after it was stolen, I just took over my eight-year-old daughter's little purse. And I walked around as an adult <laughs> woman with this little girl purse, which is just crazy. And mm-hmm. then I was coming to the United States, and I was going to be speaking at a church, and I realized I needed to probably replace this. It didn't look right, you know, and I pulled into a strip mall I was unfamiliar with, and the only place I could see in the strip mall that might possibly sell a purse was a luggage store. So I jumped out, went to this luggage store, and I saw this leather backpack hanging up, and I thought, oh, that's perfect. It's practical still for what I do, but it's still, you know, kind of cute. And so I take it up to the front to pay for it, and the lady told me the price, and it was really in that same price range as that first purse. And I was like, oh, you know what? I've already learned this lesson before. I, I know, thank you. I don't want this. And I I walked out of the store. I'm sure she thought there was a price tag on it, you know, but I go and speak at this engagement, and then I later that night drive to my mom's house in Cincinnati, Ohio, where that was our mailing address as, as missionaries. We were using her mailing address, and I had had a birthday since – um, I had last been in the States. And so waiting at my mom's house was some cards and gifts for me that had come from various people. And I, there was a box there from my college roommate. And I remember thinking how sweet it was of her to have remembered my birthday. And I opened up the box 
And inside that box was the leather backpack I had held in my hands just a couple hours before then. And I can remember when I opened it up, I said to the Lord out loud, you are always reintroducing yourself to me because I was positive you did not care about purses. (laughs) And it was like he was saying to me, I care about what you care about. And that night, I I didn't even know how to pray. I was just thinking about all the wasted emotional energy I had spent beating myself up and being mad at that thief. And meanwhile, I I then learned that she had actually purchased that backpack for me before that first purse was ever stolen. So I told the Lord, like laying there, like you put into motion a solution to a problem I hadn't even had yet. Wow. And I, I didn't even know how to say thank you. So I just, I just kept saying amen, which means literally so be it. And it, I, the best way I can describe it to you, Bill, is it felt like the word was almost pregnant. Like it was just full of meaning to me that night. I kept saying amen Maybe you actually are already at work and all the other things that tie me up in knots, like my children or my future or my finances or my health or whatever. Like maybe I can trust you in every area of my life that you're already on the job. Maybe my job is to just understand your sovereignty, submit to it, and amen, like you're on it. So that first night I I said amen a bunch of times, and then I confessed my sins and asked for what I needed, and I finished that prayer that night. By just acknowledging who I was talking to, and I, I finished it by saying, you know, oh, dear Jesus, and I realized I had inverted my prayers. I had started with amen, and I had finished with dear Jesus, and it's it put me in a posture, a better posture for prayer. And so anyway, that was a little over 10 years ago, and I've now prayed that way every day since. I just love it. And is it safe to say, Beth, that you built a little testimonial to God's faithfulness over that purse, which has become really a benchmark in your faith journey. Yeah, I mean, it's something really as insignificant in our life as a purse. I mean, for me, it was God just getting my attention and saying, um, I'm actually fine, we can be concerned about a purse, but I'm really trying to get you to see that I, there is no detail that is beyond my scope of understanding, and you can trust me, Beth, with all the big things. If I can take care of this thing, you, I can take care of everything. Mm-hmm. So that's how I pray. I just start with amen, which just is like you're you're sovereign, you're good, you can be trusted, you're on the job, uh, so be it. Like whatever it is that you will, I will it too. And then I always just say whatever I need to say in my prayer life, and I conclude with acknowledging who I'm talking to. And it really has given me a sense of settle in my faith life that I hadn't really known before. Mm-hmm. So Beth, Beth, if I'm going to make a like a four or five word list of what amen means to you, what would it be? Because you said sovereign was one, uh, trustworthy. Yeah, so yeah um, faithful. Mm-hmm. Um, faithful, sovereign, yeah, I mean, trustworthy. I love it. Yeah, I mean, sovereign really is the big one for me. I, I, You know, as a missionary, I work with orphans. I see all kinds of the underbelly of the world, stories that don't have bows on them, bodies that don't get healed, mm-hmm. families that are not put, put back together. There's like a lot of hard. And I think amen allows me to be fluent in hard stories and trust that God is working on all the things that I can't I can't fix. Mm-hmm. Like he, wa- he wants to heal things that I want to fix. But I, if I make room for him, 
like there's this verse in Exodus where God's talking, um, chapter 25, where God's talking to Moses about how to build a tabernacle. And he basically says to him, if you make a space for me, I will come and fill the space. And to me, amen is like making room for God. It's like, I'm going to acknowledge that you are God and I'm not. And that you, you are, there's nothing I can say to you that you are not already aware of. And so I'm going to make room for you. I'm going to tell you all the things that are on my heart and I'm going to let you do your, do your holy good faith working out this inside of me. And then, and then when we finish this conversation, I'm going to leave you with the things that I want to carry around myself, but they're not mine to carry. Mm -hmm. I like talking to you, Beth. (laughs) Thank you. We'll take a little break. When we come back more with Beth Guckenberger, her book, uh, Start With Amen. We'll learn more about that in just a minute. on the 17. Awfully glad you're with me today. I've got Beth Guckenberger on our studio line, and she's written a book. She's written several, but the one we're chatting about is Start With Amen. And uh, Beth, you made reference to working with orphans. I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about your fam. Uh, You did some mission stuff, still do it, and lived in Monterey, Mexico for 15 years. And you've adopted and raised 10 kids. You're busy. I am busy. Yeah, six girls and four boys. And, uh, yeah, some of them are adopted, some of them are biological, some of them were long-term foster placements. But it's a funny little family, but it, it makes a lot of sense to us inside of it. So we, uh, we we work with orphans and vulnerable children in lots of countries around the world. My family made our home in Mexico, but we have staff in Africa and India and Haiti, different countries around the world. And, um, yeah, we provide holistic care and absolutely would love for your listeners to think about how they might be able to get involved in the life of a vulnerable child in their community or, or around the world. Yeah, I, I would encourage that as well. Now, you talk about having an orphan spirit. Now, if you have that kind of spirit, how does that affect your relationship with God? And what do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah an orphan spirit is someone who doesn't live in the sonship, that gift that God has given us to be called children of God. And, you know, I, I had heard that that expression that we can have an orphan spirit, which basically means we think we don't deserve what God has for us. We, we don't, we don't ask for what it is that we need. We, we really are begging with our, you know, our head down for God to just have a little bit of mercy on us. And I, and then I met orphans, you know, I've spent over 20 years um, working among them. And I realized really what that orphan spirit is. It's a sense of loss. Like there's no permanency, like, there's a beautiful uh, quote from author Kurt Thompson that says, every baby is born into the world looking for someone looking for them. And I think orf- orphans don't believe that anybody has seen them. You know, they don't they don't think that anybody is looking for them. And when we live as children of God, we recognize that God is, I mean, he so loved the world. He, he just, he so loved us. It's that that phrase so loved it. There's just so packed. He he lavishes his good gifts on us. And I I think again when I come to my prayer life, I don't have to 
Like, pretty please, I know yesterday you gave me mercy or wisdom or patience or grace, and I, I don't mean to ask for it again, but I, I might need a little bit more of it today. Like, I don't have mm-hmm. to say that. I can say, like, I'm doing exactly what you want me to do today, and I don't have enough for all of it. So mm-hmm. you give me what I don't have. I need self-control. I need, I, I need more of what it is. I need, you know, perseverance. I need, I need joy. I need love right now. I need all kinds of stuff. So, God, I know you want to give it to me. So, Please do. Yeah. Or I can go on. You know, Beth, you mentioned the, the difference between believing in God and believing God. Maybe you talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that um, we we can grow up and, and come to the place where our head is is squarely in the camp that says this is true and this is real. And God created the heavens and the earth and his son died on a cross and like we can have all that straight in our head and still live like, but what's that have to do with raising my children or staying married to my husband or managing my finances or resolving conflict with my neighbor? Like if I actually believe God in all the things that is true, then there's, the, then there's power inside of me. Then there's the possibility for things like redemption and reconciliation and rescue and repair and all these beautiful gospel words that if I believe God, then I'm not afraid to ask him to come and fill that space between me and another person or me and a dream that I have. Like I, I believe that that God wants to work and move in every part of my life. And again, all of that comes back to the all that amen stuff like amen, Lord, if this is your idea, you help me do it. I mean, that's really how I raised 10 children. There's no way on earth I could have done that without God. Yeah. But I, I said frequently to him, if this is what you want, I'm all in. I love that. So I'm just curious, this is kind of on the personal side, but what would you consider the the greatest trial of faith maybe in your life? You, you know, you've raised these kids, you've worked with orphans, so you've got a lot, a lot to pick from, I would imagine. I think my biggest trial of faith happened um, when my father died at age 51 from cancer, and I asked him, and all the ways that that the Bible teaches you. I, I told the Lord, heal him, heal him in your name, heal him when two or three of us are gathered, heal him with this oil, like just heal him, please heal him, I beg of you. And the Lord chose instead to take him home. And it was, it was, a, it was this big, confusing faith crisis for me. Um, very confusing. And then in God's, funny little mercy that a year and a half later, we adopted a son with special needs. He had um, severe cerebral palsy. And for about two years, we wrestled with that, the reality of that in our life and all the medical to-dos that come with um, raising a child with special needs. And then one day I didn't even ask him this one day, um, my son got up off the floor and walked across it and was totally healed. And I didn't, I didn't know what I was looking at. I didn't, I I mean, I knew it was a miracle. We, you know, obviously later would have all that confirmed by physicians, but I, I, at the conclusion of my son Evan's healing, I remember saying to the Lord, like same girl, same faith, same prayer, two people I loved, one of these stories, exactly how I wanted it. One of these stories, not at all how I wanted it. Is there a conclusion to this crisis? It must be that you're God and I'm not, Mm -hmm. and I have a choice. I can bow my knee at your at your throne and trust you in it, or I can fight you over every little thing. And I've just decided to bow my knee and trust him when things don't go my way and trust him when things go better than I imagined. Just trust that he's in control. 
That's that's amazing, Beth. Now, in your book, Start With Amen, you talk about, you know, you can live amen as a lifestyle. Now, that's intriguing. How do we do that? Yeah, I, I mean, amen is a word for me that's like a trigger word. I'll say it to myself, you know, in the middle of potential road rage. I'll say it to myself when an airplane is late. I'll say it to myself. Uh, my son just got hurt at a football game. Like, it is a word that triggers me to remember I've made a choice to live like I don't belong on this planet. I've made a choice to live like I, we don't give people what they deserve. We we give them grace and mercy instead, and we don't we don't think the sky is falling. We trust that God has something in whatever circumstance maybe we don't like. Like it's it's this this spiritual confidence that sits inside of me in every like you know when I burn dinner or or I mean no matter what no matter what is going on. It's amen is a lifestyle for me. Uh, like, it's okay. Like, it's okay. God, Jesus still sits on the throne, and whatever is going on around me, He has something in it for me. Is that a is that a habit, Beth? That we could start developing, and if we were to start developing that habit, what would you suggest we how we get started? Because I really yeah, like this. You know, this I, is a great idea, by the way. Well, I'm glad. I, you know, I think for me, it started out in my journal. Like I literally had to watch my prayers invert themselves. I had to start the top of the page with the word amen. And then I began to watch how my prayers stopped sounding like I was begging him for something and started sounding more like, like, like I said, like spiritually confident. Like I know, I already know you're on the job. I'm just telling you, I want, I want your will. Like Mm. I'm, I'm just acknowledging to you that and um, it doesn't make sense for me not to ask. You tell us to ask all over the scriptures, but I'm going to ask knowing that I'm not trying to get your attention. You already have your full attention. So I just so it started for me in a journal, and then then I moved to note cards. I would just write that word amen on every note card. I had one in my car, in my mirror, in my desk, like everywhere I needed like visual cues to remind myself if something is not going the way I want, amen. Make mm. room for God. Oh, I love that. Yeah, you know, I and talk, now it's just something I whisper. Yeah, I talk to uh, people that write books, and I always ask them, when you finished writing the book, uh, what what did you learn from writing a book yourself? So I'm going to ask you that question as well. Yeah, I think that I, when you finish a book, you recognize this may have been an exercise just for me. Mm. And I think it's far more compelling to read something that someone has written about how God has impacted them than it is about how they think you should be changed. So I write that way. I, I write saying, this is what, how my life and my marriage and my parenting and my finances and my health and my everything, this is how this truth transformed me. And may it be a testimony versus, you know, here's your seven steps and changing the way that you see the world. I just, it doesn't feel very compelling to me. So by recording it in that way, I recognize that, I just put to record what God and I have been doing in the heavenlies. And if no one ever reads it, it's okay. It's important to me that it's on record. But mm-hmm. if other people read it and decide to have their own journey go in that direction, then bless God. Mm-hmm. Here's a challenging question because we just have a minute left. If uh, you were going to try to give some parents who are raising kids that, and the kids aren't that interested in, in living a, a faith-centered life, what would you say to them? I'd say live out loud. I, I, I believe wholeheartedly that they are watching us more than they're listening to us. So put put our money where our mouth is, you know, I, I, 
and be as vulnerable as possible. I, I think I work with students all the time who think, oh, that faith thing's not for me because I'm not that great. And every adult that I know who says they're Christian always has their best best foot forward. So with my own family, I'm just constantly being vulnerable so that when my children see their own weaknesses, they know what to do with them. And they don't think that disqualifies them for faith. It actually means we need it more. Yeah. Beth, you're an absolute delight. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the show, starting our Mondays off, this Monday off perfectly. Amen. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Amen to you. Okay. Beth Guckenberger has been my guest, and her book is Start With Amen. We'll take a little break, and then uh, coming up next, uh, Sean Winters is in studio. Looking forward to talking to him. We'll be back in just a minute. 